So, we're starting a brand new series this morning, and so if you have been here the past few weeks, you'll, you'll know that I haven't preached since Easter Sunday, and so, you know, I've, you guys have had, I think, long enough of a break without hearing me, so now you get to hear me again. <laughs> so this message that we're going to be doing this morning is actually, it's called uh, cross-examination uh, revelation, which is interesting that we have uh, Carl Ezelori. Of course, she's not in here today to help make sure that I use the term right. But this term, cross-examination, is actually a law term. And the definition of that is the examination of a witness who's already testified in order to check or discredit the witness testimony, knowledge, or credibility. And so we're going to be looking at that word, and as we look through it right now, it's a five-week series, and so we're going to look at it in looking at the cross and what, that, what drawing closer to God, drawing closer to the, to the cross reveals within us, showing us what kind of people we are, showing us how much we need Him and why we need Jesus. You know, I, did, I remember when I, when I first wrote this message out, in fact, usually I keep the dates of when I write a message, and it was back in February of three years, it was three years ago, basically, when I first did this, this message. And so as we go through this series, as we look at what it means to draw closer to God, because the closer you draw to God, the more He begins to reveal in you the things that are not of Him. And he begins to reveal to you what following him looks like, what living for Christ looks like. And so the, this, for today, our focus is going to be on a story that is very familiar to a lot of people, if, especially if you've gone to church, you know, you, you hear about it, especially in children's church, is the story of Jonah. Now, we're not going to focus on him being eaten by the whale and spat out. But we're going to focus on that last chapter, which I, believe, I feel like always gets kind of overlooked. Because what we hear about Jonah is that he was told he needed to go to Nineveh. And he, he was disobedient. He said no and went the opposite way. And what he did was he bought a boat a ticket to get on the boat that would take him the complete opposite direction of where God had told him to go. Now, because he had done that, God sent a storm, it says, that rocked the boat enough to where everybody else on the boat felt it except for Jonah because he was asleep in the boat. Can you imagine how relaxed he must have been to be able to sleep through a storm that everybody else is freaking out about? The boat is shaking, probably water getting on board, and Jonah's laid out on the fl- somewhere in the boat just sleeping, and they had to wake him up and say, hey, basically, what's wrong with you? We're close to drowning and dying, and you over here sleeping. Do something or help us out or something instead of just sitting there doing nothing. But when he got up, now it says that he actually had told them that he was running away, but they didn't fully understand who he was running away from. And so when he revealed who he was and said he was Hebrew and he was running away from, from God... They all looked at him like he was crazy, like, what, basically, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this? Essentially, you've put our lives in danger because you chose to be disobedient to the Father. Now, these men didn't know God the same way that 
that Jonah did. They didn't have a relationship with him. What I find interesting, though, is after they had thrown him over, at the end of that passage, it says they actually made sacrifices and chose to serve the true living God. Now, that obviously wasn't Jonah's intention, but God used his disobedience to gain new believers. See, sometimes we do things against the will of God because we don't want to follow his way, but yet he still finds a way to use it for his good. And that's what we see in this passage. But one of my favorite movies, kids' movies, is uh, the VeggieTales movie, the Jonah's VeggieTales movie. (laughs) One of the reasons I love that is because they don't hold out on the fact that this passage that we're going to look like is the way Jonah acted after God decided he was going to save the Ninevites. Now Jonah gets to the, finally he gets spit out on this land and God tells him again, you need to go. Here's what you're going to tell them. They, in 40 days, they will be destroyed if they don't repent. Now the Israelites did not have a good relationship with the Ninevites. In fact, the Ninevites were considered to be horrible people. They did a lot of things in the eyes of God that he considered wicked, and that's why he sent Jonah. And Jonah gets there, and he tells them, here's what God says. Either you repent, or in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. Now, they're given two options. Turn from their wicked ways, or death. There is really no in-between. And if you think about it, and when you follow Jesus and you are following him, do you get two options? You're either going to follow Christ or you're going to follow the world. One leads to an eternal life with him. The other one leads to eternal damnation and hell. So there's no in-between. You either get to live an eternal life with Jesus or you get to, be, you get to go down in hell and live with the devil. So there's no in-between. And that's the same thing that God's telling these people. He's saying, you have a choice to make. And he's leaving it in their hands. And, they, and that's exactly what they did. They, when they heard what Jonah said, they repented, truly repented and earnestly repented, which means that with all their hearts, they truly wanted to change their ways. And so it says that they, they begin to fast. It started, the king actually made it to where every single person in that city would, begin, would fast and pray, seeking God, hoping and praying that he would, you know, change his mind. And when God saw that, he decided to not kill the Ninevites. Now, and this is where we get to chapter, chapter 4. Starting at verse 1, it says, This change of plan greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now, I want, can you go back to that first one? I've read this story many times. In fact, I always like to think about the fact that, you know, like I said, why I like the story and how it's presented with the Veggie Tales is the fact that they do talk about this portion because 
He's done what God told them to do. He's presented them with a message. They've repented. Now, rather than being happy that they've repented, he's mad. He's mad because God has decided he's going to save these people because they truly repented. Now, what I found interesting in this verse alone is that he uses God's compassion and God's, God's character to justify his disobedience. He, looks, he basically tells God, this, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? This is why I ran away. Because I knew that you're merciful and compassionate. You know, the same God that showed him compassion by saving him from the, from the fish that had swallowed him. He knew that, yet he chose to say this is, his disobedience is the reason why. It doesn't really make sense, does it? When somebody does something for you, you don't turn around and say, you know, this is why I didn't want anything to do with you because you were going to be so nice about this and be all forgiving and loving. And it's like, wait, what? You mean because I'm giving you a second chance, you're going to get mad at me? It doesn't make sense. And so God's just asking point blank, is it right for you to be angry about this? In verse 4. Now, most people probably would stop and think before they answer the question. But Jonah was so lost in, his, in how he was feeling in that moment and the fact that God was being who he is and actually being compassionate and merciful that his answer, well, he didn't really answer yet. So he said, it says that Jonah went out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under, as he waited to see what would happen to the city, and the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Okay. <laughs> There's so much in this. Like, again, he's already done what God had told him to do. He didn't have to stay there and sit there and wait to see if God is going to destroy these people. So he chose to find a spot, not really a shaded spot, and just sit there and wait. So God provided him with shelter, with a means to cover his head. And then God, to teach him a lesson, allowed a, a worm to come and eat that leaf that was providing shelter or covering over his head. And then he gets mad. I think if there's one thing that we can learn from this story, uh, this passage, is that Jonah had, may have had an anger problem. But he gets mad at something that he had no power or control over. He did not plant that leaf. He did not make it grow. He didn't put in any work to make it grow. And yet he was angry that it was basically providing food for the, for the worm that was there. And now all of a sudden, what 
was covering him is no longer available. And so he's angry about something that he, made, he put no work into. So God asked him, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Without hesitation, Jonah says, yes. Angry enough to die. Now, it gets hot in Florida, but I don't think I've ever gotten to the point where I'm so angry where I'm like, oh, I wish this heat would go away, otherwise it would just kill me now. Like, I don't think it's ever gotten that bad to where, if anything, you know, I just go inside and, you know, when my daughter wants to go outside because she loves to go out there, I'm just like, just on the porch, sweetie, I can't do this heat. Let's just, let's just stay right here. But then the Lord says, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Who are we to tell God when to give people second chances? Jonah had no right to be angry at God for wanting to save people, for wanting to redeem these people that had truly repented of what they've done. But have you ever find yourself getting angry at God over something? I have. And just like Jonah, you know, you get, there's, only, there's really two responses. You either come to the point where you realize really there was no reason to be angry, even though you may not understand the full scope of the situation, or you stay angry with him long enough, and really it doesn't affect him, but rather it affects your relationship with him. Because we, sometimes we hold on to that anger thinking we're hurting him, but in reality we're hurting ourselves because we're holding on to something that he has already released us of, or he can release us of and take it away from us. And so by holding on to it, we're hurting ourselves, we're hurting our relationship with him, and we, instead of drawing closer to God, we walk away or we pull away from him because we think he didn't do what we expected him to. See, that's what Jonah was doing. He expected that no matter what happened, that God was just going to wipe the Ninevites and just remove them from this earth. But God wanted to show us that He is one that is there to redeem, that there's salvation. Because if He had done that there, what's to stop Him from... He could have not sent Jesus. Because it is through Jesus that we have a second chance at being able to come closer to God. So imagine if He had said, I'm not going to send my son to die for these people because they're just too wicked. They're just too awful. They're destroying this, this earth that I created. They're destroying each other. They're really destroying relationships with each other. But rather, he said, no, I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for them. Now, will they all accept him? No. In fact, the same ones that he sent him to save are the same ones that put him on the cross. And yet, he said, I'm going to give him another chance. If he had not given us a second chance, would any of us be here right now? 
I know I wouldn't be. Who knows where our lives would be or what our lives would be like if Jesus had not died on the cross for us. So what does drawing closer to the cross reveal in us? It reveals our hearts. It reveals whether or not our heart is right with God. See, I don't believe that Jonah's problem was just an anger problem. I believe it was a heart issue. See, he loved his people, but maybe that love only stopped at his people and not those that weren't part of the Israelites. Sometimes we allow the, what we see on the outside based off somebody's action to dictate whether we, they deserve a second chance or not. We look at the way they act, we look at the way they behave, we look at the things that they do or have done, and we, say, and we judge them based off of that, but when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single person. Their past, their present, and their future. So to look at somebody and decide for yourself that they don't deserve a second chance, then let me ask you this, do you deserve a second chance? See, we're, we, we know we don't really deserve a second chance. But the same grace that we might extend to ourselves, we don't extend to other people. So if we're going to follow Him, if we're gonna, we have to let Him change our hearts. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10, and I'm reading uh, the New Living Translation, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who will, really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, verse 10 tells us that, God, that the Lord searches all hearts and examines our motives. In other words, you know, it's hard to tell what people are sometimes really thinking. Some people, you can read their expressions and tell what they're thinking because they're easy to read. But then there's times where... You can't really tell what somebody's thinking or really how somebody sees you unless they come right out and say it. And so there's times where people will say one thing in front of you and act completely different behind your back. They can look you in the face with a smile and say, you know, nice things to your face and then all of a sudden, you, later, a couple of days later, you're hearing from somebody else the things that they say behind your back. And you're wondering, what in the world? See, we don't know what goes on in people's hearts. We don't know what goes on in their minds, but God sees everything. And that's why he tells us that he examines all hearts and sees secret motives. In other words, the things that we do, the reasons why we do it. You know, we probably, maybe we don't think about it, but there are times where people serve for the wrong reasons in the church. They serve to be recognized to, uh, for earthly gains and rewards. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's passages in the New Testament where Jesus addresses that, where it says, if your goal is to, be, to receive accolades from men, then you will get that. Because God sees 
our hearts. In fact, a lot of the times when he called out the Pharisees about certain things they were doing, it was because they were doing things to put on a show for people. So people would notice them. But then he would turn around and, and, and he would look at the, the widow that came that had very little and gave everything she had. She did it not because she wanted people to recognize, but because she knew the God that she served as a provider. So when we do things for others, it should not be because we want to be recognized. In the same way, when we do services for in the kingdom of God, it's not about us, and it should never be about us. It should always be looking for a way to present Jesus to people, to present the gospel to others. As I was looking at that, the first person really I thought of is David. Not just his life, but when Saul, or when Samuel went to his house, to his father's house, to pick out the next king. Now, he had seven older brothers. And he wasn't even invited to be there when Samuel came to pick out the next king out of his siblings. Think about that for a second. His father didn't think he needed to be there while the prophet came to search for the next king of Israel. Can you imagine how deep that must cut you? That your own father didn't think you, need, you were worthy of being there while the next king, or to even be in the presence of what was considered a man of God, the prophet of Israel. That's hurtful. And as, he, as Samuel's going through the brothers and looking at them and seeing the one, looking at their, what's on the outside, recognizing how strong they look and how, good, how handsome they are or how tall they are, God says, nope, nope, not that one either. In fact, God looks at him and says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. See, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You can look on the outside like you have it all together, like you know what you're doing, but on the inside, you probably are not the greatest person because you're good at hiding it. A lot of people are good at that, where they can put on a show on the outside, but when they're not in front of people, their true characters really show. But God says, I'm not looking at what's on the outside. I'm looking at their hearts. And so Samuel finally looked at Jesse and says, well, do you have any other kids? And that's when he remembers, oh yeah, I have another one. He's out there with the sheep. And Samuel said, well, we're not going to eat. We're not going to do anything until he shows up. And Samuel, it's literally as soon as David walked through the door, God looks and told Samuel, this is the one that I have chosen. See, for us, when we look at people, we look at the things that they've done, the things that they've accomplished. And so we judge people based off of that. But God says, it doesn't matter to me what they've accomplished. It matters to me whether their hearts align with my heart. It matters to me that they value the same things that I do. 
It matters to me that they value the kingdom the way I do, that they see people that are lost and in need of Jesus and are willing to go after it wholeheartedly and share the gospel with them. He's not looking for what you can do on your own, but what you can do with him leading you. See, I find it interesting that as he spoke to Jonah, he told him that all those people were lost in spiritual darkness. We don't stop to think about the fact that our fight is not just physical. There is a spiritual aspect to our walk with Jesus That's why we have the Holy Spirit, so we can understand that. We're not just fighting against the things that we see on the outside. That's the the problem. A lot of times we think we can change people by just having words with them and fighting them on their own fields or really going at each other, which solves nothing. Because they still, when they walk away and leave, they're still the same people that they were before. But rather, we should be praying that God would open their eyes spiritually to see the brokenness, to see the hurt, the pain, the things around us that are causing all these problems. See, we want to see things get better. We want to see things change. But it's going to take more than just talking to people to see things change. If we try to do it on our own strength, nothing's going to change. We have to rely on God. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to show us and reveal to us these things. So spiritual darkness, it's a real thing. And it surrounds us. Why do you think we have so much problems when it comes to morality? Morality that was already defined by God, all of a sudden we can't decide where the line is when we've gone too far. We are blinded spiritually. And so we continue to go over the line, over the boundaries that God had already preset. And no one sees an issue with it because they're all blind spiritually. But we cannot remain blind forever. Because there's a consequence that comes at the end of times. And so our goal and our desire should be to see people's eyes be opened spiritually. See their lives be transformed by the power of Christ. To want to see them change and experience Jesus in a way that they've never experienced them before. See, as we go through this series, my goal is that it's it's to challenge you to pick one, two, however many people you can think of to begin to lift them up in prayer during this time. That you would daily lift them up before God, that God would open their eyes. Because when God opens their eyes to show them how much He loves them, to show them who He created them to be, to show them what He has for their lives, the purpose and plan He has, imagine how much good they'll do and begin in whose lives they might transform because God has transformed them. 
See, we carry a lot of things in our hearts. We carry pain, sorrow, brokenness, heartaches, and so much more. And all those things affect us in our relationship with other people, but it also affects our relationship with God. And you're either going to draw closer to God or you're going to walk away from Him. You either learn to lean on Him or you learn to lean on really everything else. Because then you look for other ways to go through your problems, to help you through your problems. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced heartaches. We've all experienced things that would draw us and even pull us away from God. Things that causes us to really question God. And maybe you've had or you've been carrying a burden for so long that you've gotten used to the weight of it that no longer it doesn't feel like a burden, but it really is something that weighs you down. Something that you didn't think that you'd ever be able to lay down. But I'm here to tell you today that God is calling you to lay your burdens down at His feet. To not walk out of this place the same way that you came in. Whatever you came in with, give it to Him. Because He wants to lighten your, your load. He wants to help you. He wants to give you rest, peace. You know, I haven't, I haven't really been wanting to do much this week, honestly, being real. Like, everything I've done this week has been me, I've had to push myself to do. Even coming in yesterday to, to practice this sermon and do all these different things, I had to push myself to because I know how hard today would be for me. And, the, and I remember Holly even asked me if I would like her to preach for me. I was like, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. See, even leaders have burdens, too. And as much as I, you know, I try to take it one day at a time to let God help me with it, but at the same time, it's still fresh. And that's the thing about hurt. Sometimes, even when you've given it to God, there are things that come up that reminds you of the hurt, that reminds you of the pain. And it's not doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're taking it back. It's just that's life. There's reminders everywhere of pain and sorrow and hurt. But we serve a God that can walk with us through those pains and sorrows. And that's what I've had to do throughout this month itself is learn, re, really learn to re-rely on God for everything. Allowing myself to be led by Him because if I did it in my own strength, I tell you what, I'd probably still be in bed right now. Because I didn't, I didn't really want to get out of bed this morning.
I say all this because I don't ever want people to place me in a, pla in a higher position or view me in a way that they shouldn't, because just like you, I hurt. Just like you, I have things in my heart that I have to give to God. But there are people that don't have that opportunity or maybe don't know or recognize that they have that opportunity. The opportunity to know Jesus, to accept him as Savior in their lives. And if that's you today, I want to tell you that the invitation is open to you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to bring him your burdens and to give it to him. Because the peace that you're looking for, you're not going to find it in anything else. The love that you're searching for, you're not going to find it, that unconditional love. You're not going to find it anywhere else. That comfort that you're seeking, you're not going to find it in the things of this world. And if you do, it's only temporary. Because then you have to find the next thing to fill that void. But Jesus has given us all the open invitation to allow him to be the one that fills that void in our hearts. I want to use this uh, Psalm 51 as our prayer for this morning. And it's Psalm 51, starting at verse 10 through 13, where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Let that be our prayer this morning and tomorrow, really all every day that God would continue to renew our hearts, renew our spirit, that we learn to rely on the Holy Spirit completely. I don't know about you, but the thought of not being in God's presence does not sit well with me. And it shouldn't sit well with any of us that say we love Him. Because when you love somebody, you want to be close to them. You want to spend time with them. When you, want, when, you want to, when you love your spouse, you want to spend time with them. You spend time in their presence. How much more should we be when it comes to God? That we desire His presence every day. So as we close out today, I want you to be thinking of somebody that you know that needs Jesus that needs him to open their eyes and begin to lift them up in prayer daily. And I don't need to know who it is, because, but I'll be praying with you that for whoever you're praying with, that we will come in agreement that God would open their eyes. That uh, I, we were, as we were praying on Thursday, the way I put it is that he would just continue to, you know, you know when, when your kids want something, they just keep until they get your attention. Well, that God will continue to poke them until they, he gets their attention and they have no choice but to answer. 
that he would annoyingly poke them and get their attention until they realize what they're missing. That's what I'm praying. Because we love them so much that we want to see them come to know Jesus and we want that so badly, then just like the Ninevites begin to fast and pray so that God would change his mind, let's do the same thing for the people that we love. That we would begin to pray consistently that God would just nudge them until they really, I don't know, fall on their face before him and surrender. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you already know what's in our hearts. You already know the people that we are praying for, the people that we are lifting before you. You know what they need and you know what they, why they need you. And so, God, we are coming together in agreement, each of us pursuing you, asking you to begin to pursue relentlessly those that we are placing and lifting up before you. God, that you would give us reminders throughout the week, throughout the days, to, so that we would remember to lift them up in prayer, that we would remember to pray for them in every moment, every chance that we get. And Father, I ask if there's anybody that is carrying a burden that needs you this morning, that does not have a relationship with you, that they would not hesitate to come to you. They would come running before you, accepting your invitation to be their Lord and their Savior, now and forever. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to be able to be here and now in your presence with each other. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I pray that you have a blessed day and that God be with you in everything that you do.